Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. The cloud has brought enormous benefits to organizations of all sizes, especially during the pandemic. It's made collaboration easier and opened up business systems to remote workers in a way that was hardly possible even just 10 years ago. But the cloud brings its own risks. Not only are cloud systems being targeted, but cloud infrastructure is being used to distribute malware, for phishing, and even to bypass security measures such as multi-factor authentication. And attackers are exploiting our reliance on internet search to spread malware too. These are just some of the threats analysed in the latest cloud report from security provider Netscope. Our guest is Ray Canzanese, Director at Netscope's Threat Labs, and he joins us now. So, Ray, thank you very much for joining us. Firstly, can you summarise the findings of your cloud threat report? For sure. I, I can start with what I think is maybe the, the most surprising thing that we found writing this report, which was how many phishing PDF downloads we're seeing linked from popular search engines. So these are typically PDF files that somebody will uh, download uh, when, when they search for some sort of form on Google or Bing. Uh, the PDF typically will then link them to a phishing page, a scam page, a malware download site. And we saw over the past year uh, a roughly four and a half X increase in the number of downloads that we saw um, that were these types of malicious PDF files. And when when people actually click on that link and download them, they're hosted all over the place, right? Some of them are hosted in uh, cloud um, free web hosting sites like Weebly. Some of them are hosted on people's personal um, WordPress sites, um, but they're really spread all over the web. Uh, so that, that I think is maybe the, the most surprising to us. Uh, otherwise, I think some of the things we saw were continuations of trends. Um, for example, Trojans accounting for more more than three quarters of all malware downloads that we see uh, across the web and cloud. We saw about half of all malware downloads coming from cloud apps, uh, the other half coming from traditional websites. We, uh, of course, still see Microsoft Windows being the most highly targeted operating system with EXE and DLL files, um, plus Office files making up more than half of all malware downloads. And then I think the other uh, interesting one about where things are coming from, I think, you know, if you rewind the clock, maybe 10 or 15 years, uh, logic was always, well, if you just block uh, downloads uh, from other countries, right, you can probably uh, block most malware downloads. And that's just really not the case anymore. Most people downloading malware, the server they're downloading the malware from is geographically located very close to where that end user is. So we are seeing some shifts then 
Um, do you feel that fishing trends more generally are changing? Fishing trends, I think, unfortunately, um, are remaining mostly the same, uh, meaning a, a lot of what we see in fishing is still um, just people trying to capitalize on whatever's happening in the world, whether that is, uh, you know, whatever big cultural event is coming up next, right? We always see fishing scams around election time and tax time and the Olympics. And then we'll also see uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, right, a lot of pandemic pandemic themed phishing, but it's all about stealing usernames and passwords. And that's still the majority of the phishing that we see. Um, the, the place where we're starting to see a little bit more of, of sort of interesting, innovative phishing is around uh, cloud apps like uh, Microsoft Office uh, 365, right? Or Google Drive, where uh, the, the goal of the phisher isn't necessarily to steal the victim's credentials. Um, but rather it's to get them to click, yes, please allow Google to, uh, or sorry, allow this app to access all of my documents in Google or to send email on my behalf. And so the, the reason that, that attackers are doing that is that you can typically bypass MFA if you do that, right? As soon as that person clicks, yes, allow them to send email on my behalf and access all my documents. That's it. Game over right now. The attacker has access to all that and they didn't need to find a way to, to get your MFA credentials. That's still not the most common thing we see. The most common thing we see is still um, people going after usernames and passwords, but um, it's, it's a new thing that people need to start being careful of um, when they click a allow when presented with a pop-up like that. In volume terms, though, are we seeing changes regarding more phishing attempts being made as we move into this next phase? I'm reluctant to call it the final phase or the end phase of the pandemic. We did see a, a quite large increase in phishing attacks during the pandemic. And, and you said that the trend is we're still seeing the malware out there. Uh, has it changed in its nature of the way people being targeted? Is that changing due to the return to the workplace? And, and are we seeing variation from country to country? Unfortunately, I think phishing uh, has always been going up and will continue to go up. And and whether there was a global pandemic or not, phishing would have increased. Um, I don't think we can say definitively that, you know, because of the pandemic or even because of a return to office that phishing has increased. I think that phishing was has been on this trajectory of, of increase for years and it's it's going to continue as long as people are successful. Right. So um, I, I can't really say that the return to office or pandemic has accelerated anything, but it certainly hasn't slowed anything down either. So maybe it's been a shift in the type of technologies that are being used to target it or indeed the type of technologies that are being targeted, which takes us back to the whole question of the cloud. Looking at your malware downloads, and we'll come back to that in a moment, where they're being hosted or where they're originating from, that is changing, isn't it? Or that has changed. We're seeing a lot more use of these cloud data repositories, in particular, the ones that are focused at the individual user within a business or indeed the consumer. That's right. Yeah. So we've been seeing an increase in, in, in the uh, a number of downloads, right? That like overall percentage of downloads that come from cloud apps. And that's, I think, roughly sort of leveled off recently. It's been hovering around 50% for a while. But 
within that 50%, we see sort of constant shifts in which particular apps are on the leaderboard in any particular month. So, you, you know, you look at those top apps where people are downloading malware from, and it's always a who's who of what are the most popular cloud apps out there, right? So it's always the OneDrives, the Box, Google Drive, Dropbox, the, the things that everybody use, because they're the ones where people are most likely to click on something, right? Most likely to regularly interact with those apps. And, uh, you know, I think uh, maybe two years ago, Box was on that leaderboard. Maybe a year ago, it was Google Drive. Uh, currently, it's Microsoft OneDrive. And that's really just a function of um, sort of, you know, what's what's popular at the moment and, and what threat actors are active and which apps they're abusing, right? It only takes maybe a one or two successful campaigns to, to shift the tide from being one app to another. So um, we'll, we'll expect to see that to continue. You know, it's always going to be most popular apps up there, but the, the one that's number one is, is really just going to be a function of, um, you know, who, who's active and what they're trying to do in that moment. So very much reflecting which type of apps people are using, what's being deployed by their businesses and so forth. But looking then at the SEO downloads or SEO focused malwares, SEO driven downloads, I think you referred to it in the report. Explain to us what's happening there. So this is essentially bad actors trying to get their malware into a position where people will find it using search and then be persuaded or convinced that it's a legitimate file. Yes. And so this is this is really interesting because it looks like maybe the work of a, a single individual or group that that figured out the, the trick here. Right. The trick being that PDFs get indexed by search engines. And so you can use those same SEO techniques that you would on a website uh, in a PDF. So a lot of these PDFs look identical. There's usually a fake captcha on the first page, a few blank pages, and then uh, a wall of text meant to achieve that, uh, that page rank, that high rating on the search engine. And we've seen these in a variety of different languages for a wide variety of different search terms. We've seen these, uh, again, being directed to phishing pages, being directed to um, downloads for malware, being directed to just like scam websites, to spam websites. And that sort of variety of, um, uh, of uh, destinations without very much variety at all in how that PDF is structured is really indicative of that there's... You you know, like one group doing all of this and maybe they're, they're getting paid uh, by the targets of these links that they're spreading around. Is this purely then driven off popular search terms? This this particular flavor of attack here is completely driven off of popular search terms. So we see a lot of like um, uh, searches for forms that you might, you know, look for, you know, come tax time from the government. And, you know, you search for those forms and you find some of these PDFs being uh, highly ranked as a search reserve result for those forms. So, you know, the thing to be careful of is when you're looking for something official, 
official, right? Make sure it's coming from a .gov or some sort of official website and not from where a bunch of these are coming from, which is like your uh, blogger websites, your Weebly's, your Amazon um, uh, S3 pages, right? They're always coming from places where you wouldn't normally go to find any sort of official forms or tracking uh, documents or anything like that. And what type of malware, if you can generalize, are they trying to hide in, within these PDFs or linked to within these PDFs? Uh, we have typically seen uh, commodity Trojans being linked to uh, Trojan, you know, just being a generic uh, piece of malware that's designed to uh, look benign and then deliver uh, other malware payloads once it's opened. And those other malware payloads are almost always these days, either um, uh, bankers, right? Uh, info stealers or ransomware. And is ransomware continuing to grow in your view? Uh, ransomware is uh, unfortunately continuing to grow. Yes, um, we see uh, sort of a constant flow, right, of new ransomware operators coming into the scene. Right, for every time you you see in the news that a ransomware operator has been shut down, um, there's always at least one more that comes up in its place. And even the ones that you see getting shut down uh, sometimes reemerge just a few months later. And so, you know, as long as um, they continue to be successful, right? That they're making money. Um, there's always going to be other people observing that success and um, trying to reproduce it for themselves. And in your report, you talk about the majority of malware being Trojans, and it's 77% that you quote, but that's not just the SEO driven downloads, that's across the piece, is it? That is across the board, correct? That's for all of the malware downloads that we're seeing. So within that, then you also say that these are a common first stage of an attack. And what are you seeing attackers try to do once they've got a foothold into the business? Are they trying to move laterally across the business? Are they exfiltrating data? Uh, is it ransomware, as we just mentioned? Are there other factors at play that maybe are not as common or not as visible, but we still need to watch out for? So APTs would be uh, perhaps one there as well. So what what we see even when we're looking across the board for next stages for these Trojans is the, the same two things that we're seeing with those um, phishing PDF downloads. It's mostly um, backdoors, uh, info stealers, and ransomware. And it's mostly um, things you've heard of, right? Uh, not not seeing, you know, a lot of variety in those uh, those those follow up stages, um, whereas you see lots and lots of variety in that initial Trojan, right? Because with the Trojan, people are using uh, all sorts of tricks, right? They're hiding it as different types of files. Um, they're they're saying maybe this is like a COVID tracking map, or this is a game cheat, or or this is a plugin for my Microsoft Office, right? They're using all sorts of tricks to try to get people to click on and run that initial payload. And then after that, right, well, okay, now now let's just deploy whatever ransomware is uh, most popular right now, or a backdoor or a, or a bank or, or info stealer. So if we then break that down a little bit further and start to look at what organizations need to be vigilant over... Can you pull together any insights into, firstly, the motivation of the attacker and how we could start to think about educating the workforce and defending against these attacks? Sure. So I think by far the attacks that we see 
are motivated by financial gain, right? Um, with ransomware, it's obvious, right? Give us, give us money, and we'll give you your data back. Um, with the info stealers, um, same thing, right? You're trying to steal people's uh, bank account passwords. You're trying to steal their email passwords, right? You're trying to steal anything you can, you can either directly or indirectly monetize, right? Meaning you could use that bank account information to directly try to steal uh, from that person, right? Or, or use their reuse their credit card, or you could sell that information to somebody else um, uh, in the dark web or on a illicit marketplace where they're going to use it. Um, so really, that's the the most common uh, theme here, right? Is financially motivated attackers. And that's always the way, isn't it? So increasingly, that's always the way, right? And and I think that uh, sorry to interrupt there, but I I just wanted to sort of like emphasize that um, because that's most common. Um, everybody is a potential victim, right? It's, it's not one of those things where you think, well, I'm nobody, right? Why would, why would somebody go after me? Well, you certainly have uh, some money, right? Uh, or a credit card or a bank account number or something that they can monetize. Um, so uh, unfortunately, everybody becomes a potential victim of cybercrime like this. And they don't need a lot of money because they can attack in volume levels. Exactly right. Um, we we see uh, uh, you know especially like ransomware operators. There are um, certain operators that will go after anybody for any amount of money. Right, if they can get five dollars off of someone, that is more than zero. And as long as they can do that efficiently and they do that to enough people, um, they can uh, make a large payday for themselves. Well, there's a lot of focus at the moment, and understandably so, on nation states attacks and cyber warfare or warfare through cyber means, if that's a better way of looking at it. Is that not really impacting these type of threats then? These are still primarily driven by crime and... So the majority of the attack activity, right, that anybody will see is is always going to be that financially uh, motivated stuff, right? Because that that would have been happening, right, uh, regardless of what is happening geopolitically at any moment. Um, you know, I think what makes people really nervous about um, things that are happening in the world right now, right, like the Russian invasion of Ukraine, is that we've seen before attack that were targeted, uh, or sorry, rather, let's say intended to hit uh, specific targets or victims, especially in Ukraine, find their way out, right? Um, not be confined to the, the places that they were intended to, um, but ending up affecting people all over the world, right? This is what happened with things like NotPetya. And so that's, I think, when you see a conflict like this happening in the world, you start getting nervous that that might happen again. Um, but at least so far in this current conflict, we have not seen anything sort of escape the, the context of that conflict, right? We've seen attacks from Ukraine targeted at Russia. We've seen Russian attacks targeted at Ukraine, but we've not seen something sort of break out and start affecting people the world over. But that is nonetheless a worry for businesses because if nation states or actors working in conjunction or alongside nation states use these techniques, once these techniques are released, it's quite hard to control them. 
That's right. And and so while it is a worry, though, you know, it, it can't be a distraction. In other words, you know, the, the ransomware is still going to be there, right? All of the other financially related attacks or motivated attacks that, that are always happening, they're still there, right? So there, there's no reason to sort of stop looking for those and just assume the next thing you're going to be hit with as an APT or a nation state attack, right? This is sort of just extra on top of what you might have been seeing already. How then do we move against these attacks? And you alluded to something when we were talking about the SEO part, because you talked about tax forms and other things that people are searching for. Another example I was given was people looking for product manuals. And quite often those are used. They, they can achieve quite high SEO rankings and they are relatively hard or can be relatively hard to obtain from the legitimate manufacturer's sources. So it's an easy vehicle for criminal actors to use to spread malware. But how do we then help organizations? Because people will be searching legitimately at work for these type of forms. Otherwise, they wouldn't be effective, would they? So is it education? Do we need more technical measures in place? How do we go about that? Can we even police the back end and maybe encourage, you talked about government websites, encourage the authors of those websites to make their collateral, their documentation easier to locate and rank higher up in search itself so it pushes out the malicious traffic or the malicious sites? Yeah, so, you know, as with most complex problems, right? This solution is never uh, simple, right? The solutions are usually complex and layered as well. And so, you know, obviously education helps, right? Um, uh, you know, maybe maybe everybody doesn't need to be as paranoid as, as you know, me, uh, somebody who works in cybersecurity is, right? But knowing when to be careful, knowing um, red flags to look at for, out for certainly helps people be more secure. Um, there are obviously technical controls that organizations can put in place, right? Um, we, we at Netscope sell some of those technical controls um, that, that you can use to uh, inspect and fill web traffic so that even if somebody clicks on and tries to download a manual that contains uh, some malicious links or some malware, um, that we can block that. Um, so those sort of technical controls are always useful. Um, we at Netscope and, and cybersecurity teams around the world also work with the the places where we find these things hosted, right? When when we find um, malicious links hosted on, uh, or sorry, linked from Google or Bing, we will reach out to Google, we'll reach out to Microsoft to, to get those delisted, right? When we find uh, malicious content hosted on a place like, um, like Weebly or Amazon S3, right? We'll reach out to the cloud service providers that are obviously unknowingly and, and unwillingly hosted that kind of content and that'll be taken down as well, right? So that's another way that anybody who finds one of these things, right, who discovers this um, can make sure that nobody else who who might have been targeted with that specific threat um, gets hit with it. And, and I think you're absolutely right about, you know, um, so, sometimes just making things uh, more easily ava available from legitimate sources prevents people from then seeking them out at illegitimate sources. And those illegitimate sources are places that are typically, um, you know, a, a place that you might be more uh, likely to run into as a scam or a phishing attack or some malware downloads. And what about with the phishing attacks? And you say they're still there. They haven't gone away. If anything, there's more of them. Education has tended to be the best line of defense against phishing. But is there anything more that can be done? 
Uh, certainly MFA is a, an excellent uh, defense against traditional fishing for credentials, right? So um, that, that it's not a, uh, you know, a, a, a magic bullet, right? Something that's going to solve fishing, but it certainly does make it a lot harder um, for people running fishing attacks. If every time they, they try, right. They run into uh, an MFA blockade that they can't get by. Um, so I think that right now that's probably the most uh, effective thing for, for everyone to do on top of, um, you know, the, the education, making sure people can, uh, you know, are, are careful of where they're entering their credentials. And what's interesting, though, about this research is that we've uncovered that the cloud is being used as a vector to spread malicious traffic, to spread malware and to get by people systems. So we need bypassing MFA because someone's downloaded the PDF. That's what we were talking about earlier on. So that then raises two questions. Do we need to harden the cloud so it's hard to use as a vector and also, are businesses doing enough? Are organizations more broadly doing enough to defend their cloud estates? So are they thinking from a security point of view, actually, is this a good place to put our files? And if that isn't a good place to put our files, how do we add that additional level of security? We know there are legitimate business reasons for using some of these file sharing services. Can they be made more secure? So uh, there's there's a buzzword in cybersecurity, right, which is zero trust, um, which which basically means to to not trust anyone or anything, right? And so one of the the trends that we saw early on with cloud adoption and enterprises was somebody would decide, you know, we're we're going to use Microsoft 365, right? Therefore, we trust everything being downloaded from Microsoft 365 and everything being uploaded to it, right? We don't have to inspect that with any of our security software. Um, everything will be fine, right? That is a, a trusted vendor and nothing bad could ever happen there. And so I think that what we're learning, right, is when you do something like that, uh, other people are going to notice and, and they're going to realize, hey, if I just host my attacks in Office 365, then it's not likely that anybody's going to, to even inspect that traffic to block anything, right? They, they probably have some bypass rule in, in place that says, you know, to not interfere with the business or slow Microsoft traffic down, we'll just allow all that traffic to go straight to Microsoft. And so we see this with, with all apps, right? I used Microsoft as an example, but we see people doing that with Google, with Box, with Dropbox, just saying this is trusted. And um, that, that I think is the biggest, uh, maybe, bad habit that we need to get out of. We need to get back to uh, not trusting things that are downloaded from those apps and also inspecting what's going to them, right? You, you might um, be comfortable with, with your employees using Google Drive, but you don't want certain types of data being uploaded to Google Drive, right? So you should be inspecting and controlling that and making sure that um, data only makes it to the places that you really want it to go. Or if you are going to move those data around, you at least ensure that it's encrypted first. Exactly, right. That makes perfect sense. What, though, should organizations do or CISOs and CIOs be doing to 
potentially harden their cloud estate. Because again, this assumption is, and it's a correct assumption in many cases, that a specialist cloud provider will do security better than a lot of businesses because they can invest time and effort and specialization into it. But if you don't configure it correctly, you're leaving yourself very open. I don't know if that was touched on in the research this time round, but it's come up before. Do organizations know how to secure the cloud technology they have and make use of the security protections and defensive measures that the cloud providers build into them? But you have to switch them on. Yeah. So one of the challenges I think a lot of organizations have is even knowing what their cloud footprint looks like. Right. So, uh, you know, you you begin by finding out um, what are your employees actually using cloud apps for, right? Because in general, we find that people might believe that their organization is using maybe a dozen different cloud apps. And then upon further inspection, the answer is that they're using a hundred different cloud apps, right? So finding out what those apps people are using and what they're using them for is important. And then um, just like you said, right? Um, locking those down. The defaults aren't necessarily, um, you know, uh, set up to be uh, the most secure, and they certainly aren't tuned for exactly what your organization is doing, right? And so you have to, um, uh, you know, familiarize yourself with the controls that each one of those apps uh, offer and make sure that you're locking those apps down in a way that's appropriate for the way that you and your employees are using those apps. And if listeners want to drill down further into the data from the various threats that you've analyzed, where can they find the report, please, Ray? Yes, our, our reports are all published to netscope.com slash threat labs. And you'll find not only this uh, big quarterly report that we put up, um, but we do monthly uh, updates of this as well. So around this time every month, you'll get an incremental update of what we saw that uh, you know is specific in particular to that month in time. Ray Kanzanese, Director at Netscope's Threat Labs on how Zero Trust is one way we can protect the cloud, but also on why it's important to ensure that cloud systems are configured with security in mind. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back in two weeks' time when we'll be hearing from the director of a company that was the victim of a ransomware attack and what they did to come out the other side. Hope you can join us then. Meanwhile, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and of course on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.